heart of our nation's capital. Here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Washington Watch. Coming up, having declared the impeachment of former President Trump constitutional by a vote of 56 to 44, the Senate is now sitting as jurors in the impeachment trial of President Trump. We'll talk with senior editor of PJ Media, Tyler O'Neill, on today's proceedings. And one of President Biden's controversial nominees ran into opposition yesterday. You actually have tweeted more in the past four years than President Trump tweeted as far as just numbers. And it's been pretty hostile, obviously. You've called Republicans criminally ignorant, corrupt, and the worst. That was Senator James Langford of Oklahoma asking Neera Tandon about her prolific use of Twitter to attack Republicans. We'll talk about that as well. Also, a new Gallup poll shows Americans' overall satisfaction with seven key aspects of the country has declined sharply. In fact, historical lows. What is driving this dissatisfaction? Well, it depends upon whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. We'll talk about it with Justin Danhoff, General Counsel for the National Center for Public Policy Research. America is politically divided. I know you say, that's not news. But do you know what one issue more than any other will predict how someone will vote? New research reveals the answer, and it may surprise you. Brad Wilcox, visiting scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and a sociologist at the University of Virginia, joins me for that enlightening conversation. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, tonight's the night. Pray Vote Stand Town Hall Meeting, our first ever The Way Forward. 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be live at Calvary, or rather Cornerstone Chapel. Pastor Gary Hamrick, ADF President and CEO Mike Ferris will be joining me again. That's 7.30 p.m. tonight, February the 10th, 7.30 Eastern Time. You can join us. It's interactive, prayvotestand.org. Or to be reminded, text the word STAND to 67742. That's 67742. The U.S. Senate today forged ahead with the second impeachment trial of former President Trump after it voted yesterday, 56 to 44, that it had jurisdiction to try a former president. Meanwhile, after an illuminating confirmation hearing before the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee yesterday, President Biden's controversial pick for director of White House Office and Management and Budget set before the Senate Budget Committee today for her second hearing. Joining me now to talk about all of this and more, Tyler O'Neill, Senior Editor at PJ Media. Tyler, welcome back to the program. Thanks. Glad to be here, Tony. All right. So uh, give our listeners a sense of what's happening today in the uh, impeachment hearing. Yeah, so today they're actually delving into the substance of the claim that uh, Trump is guilty of incitement of insurrection. So yesterday was the debate. They focused on whether or not the Senate has the constitutional authority to try the case. Now they're actually proceeding into trying the actual case. What was your take on yesterday's proceedings where the and the House managers arguing uh, mostly along emotional lines, but arguing that the Senate should take up the impeachment? Yeah, I'm I'm actually divided on that particular issue. Uh, because I think some of the Democratic arguments really don't don't resonate. Like they, they talk about this uh, January exception. They say that if Trump can't be 
convicted by the Senate now, then there's this January exception for uh, presidential behavior. But in the in the last month of a presidency, I, I don't think that stands. I think uh, if if the president were to commit high crimes and misdemeanors, then he could be tried uh, legally for violating you know, the Constitution for engaging in horrific acts, you know, there's no reason why uh, he couldn't be prosecuted for committing heinous acts against the country. But at the same time, you know, I think the Democrats have a decent argument when they say that, you know, Congress, the House of Representatives, passed the impeachment before the end of Trump's term. Of course, the real problem with that is, Nancy Pelosi didn't send the article of impeachment over to the Senate until Joe Biden was already president. So, you know, this this whole thing is very partisan sham. Um, right. But, you know. That's... Well, even with even with the House taking it up before the president uh, left office, th- there were no hearings in the House. They just uh, the president, his people were not allowed to provide for, a, a, you know, a counter testimony. They just ran it through. Uh, and then also you have in the Senate where the Supreme Court justice is not presiding, which is called for in the Constitution. So all this seems uh, it, it, to me, it looks like political theater. Yeah, well, they made a mockery of due process, uh, as, as you pointed out, and ran roughshod over all the precedents for impeachment by rushing to vote it, even though they didn't rush to vote it the day of or the day after uh, the Capitol riot, which was their original claim. They're like, well, we, we have to get this done as soon as possible to remove him as soon as possible because he's a clear and present danger. It's like, well, if, if he was a clear and present danger, why weren't you faster? And then at the same time, if this is a serious impeachment, why weren't you more thorough? Why didn't you at least have the beginning of an investigation as opposed to just rushing to impeach? And the specific claim that he incited the insurrection is just flat-out bonkers if you look at the text of the speech. And, you know, there, there, there were bad things that Trump did on January 6th, but he certainly did not incite anything. Right. Well, I, I, I want to move on to uh, this controversial nominee, but I do want to ask you one more question on this, not suggesting that you can think like a liberal, but I, I, seeing that a conviction is highly unlikely, why do you believe the Democrats are doing this? What do they have to gain? I think they, they want to gain one specific thing. They want the narrative that Republicans were involved in an insurrection against the government uh, government of the United States. And with that narrative, they can push a 14th Amendment ouster of Senate Republicans, of House Republicans, or they can make the case to voters that essentially what we had was a Confederacy, a rebellion against the United States uh, that happened on January 6th. I think that's an asinine argument, but I think that is what they're going for. And my prediction, if you know that's what they're going for, that we're only going to see a further division of this country, possibly pushing it to a place where it's uh, irreparable. So, yeah, if Biden wanted real unity, the first thing he would do is say, stop this impeachment trial. He could, heck, he could even pardon Trump. And that way he would seem to be pushing unity while still claiming that Trump violated his oath, even though he doesn't have evidence. 
And, you know, like if if Biden wanted unity, he wouldn't be letting this happen. Yeah. Well, speaking of duplicity on behalf of President Biden, I want to transition over to one of his controversial nominees. And I want to play a clip from yesterday's hearing. Uh, this is Cong- this is Senator James Lankford. Uh, Bobby, play clip number three. President Biden, on his very first full day in office, stood in front of the staff of the White House and said this statement. I'm not joking when I say this. If you ever work with me and I hear you treat another colleague with disrespect, talk down to someone, I promise you I will fire you on the spot. On the spot. No ifs, ands, or buts. The challenge you have, obviously, is walking in some of your previous statements, as you've already mentioned. You actually have tweeted more in the past four years than President Trump tweeted as far as just numbers. And it's been pretty hostile, obviously. You've called Republicans criminally ignorant, corrupt, and the worst. And as you've already mentioned, over a thousand tweets have actually been deleted by you as you try to clear up. There's still a lot that's there as well. All that's partisan. I get that. I do have a concern, though, because some of the statements that you've made seem to drift out of the partisan issues. One statement that you made about uh, people that have the personal religious convictions about contraception, like Little Sisters of the Poor and others, called them a successful political cudgel helping isolate extreme advocates from the mainstream. That one seems to cross a different line for me. So help me understand how the personal religious beliefs of some Americans could be a successful political cudgel. Tyler, Neera Tandon is um, pretty far out there, former head of the Center for American Progress, a liberal think tank. Um, th- th- she, she's out there. Oh, yeah, no, no question about it. And this is, this is a very significant role uh, that Biden nominated her for. The director of the Office of Management and Budget goes through the regulations that are cooking in the federal government and analyzes just how much money they'll cost how they'll impact the economy, various things like that. And so her her bias will lead to more excusing of big government largesse and, it, it seems, of uh, quashing religious freedom. You know, I find this very interesting because the, the, the previous, uh, previously Russ vote had been at uh, OBM for uh, President Trump, for the Trump administration. You might recall... His first confirmation hearing when Bernie <laughs> Sanders uh, just yeah. told him that, you know, he was too religious and grilled him over his Christian faith and said that, uh, you know, he, he essentially said he was disqualified to serve in office. I mean, w- how the pendulum swings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bern- Bernie uh, came out and said, you know, you're you're not someone that this country is supposed to be about because Russ Vaught had the uh had the temerity to say that only Jesus provides the way to salvation and that Islam does does not. And essentially, like you said, it, it was a religious test for office. Now, uh, Bernie Sanders is actually pushing near a Tandon because Tandon attacked him along with uh, the Republicans in her in her Twitter tirade. So I, I really think this might be the... Uh, the nominee that Biden loses. And it's possible that he chose uh, Tandon almost as a sacrificial lamb to be able to to move on and get some of his other radical nominees through without uh, as much scrutiny. But so do you, you think you <laughs> think there could end up 
you think there could be some uh, Democratic opposition? It's it's going to be tough to say uh, because the Democrats need every single vote, and they're not going to be happy with their caucus if if anybody breaks. But I could see Bernie Sanders not accepting her statements, her apologies at face value, and uh, this this nominee getting scuttled. It's possible. Well, and, and if she is shown to be, and, and, and certainly her comments would suggest, hostility toward religion, um, you know, Joe Manchin is one who has uh, been very defensive about religious freedom. It's uh, potentially, uh, you know, I don't know if he's made any statements, but he could be one that could vote against her. Yeah, he could be. And, I mean, I, I would hope so. All right, anything Manchin else we should be looking Anything else we should be looking out for, uh, Tyler? Well, <laughs> there, there's always a lot, um, but yeah, th- those are the main the main things. And watch for Democrat hypocrisy on the impeachment. I think there's a good argument about the riots last summer and the double standard that they're pushing against Trump in this. Yeah, that doesn't seem to phase them one bit, but uh, we will be watching. Believe me, trust me, we will. Tyler O'Neill, as always, great to have you on the program. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, folks, don't go away. When we come back, a historic plummet in American satisfaction, but it depends on whether you're Republican or Democrat as to what is driving it. You might be surprised. We're going to talk about it uh, next with just Dustin Danhoff. Uh, Justin Danhoff is going to be joining us next. So don't go away. Coming right back with more after this. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the World's Foremost Violator of Religious Freedom. To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org slash North Korea. 
Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Again, let me remind you, tonight, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Pray, Vote, Stand, Town Hall Meeting, The Way Forward. You can be a participant. It's interactive. Just go to the website, PrayVoteStand.org. Tonight, 7.30 p.m. All right, Gallup out with their annual survey on American satisfaction in the numbers have plummeted uh, to the uh, the average satisfaction with the seven key aspects of the U.S. that they measure uh, down to 39 percent, uh, the lowest recorded since they've been doing this. Now, what's interesting is what's driving the the plummet. Now, most of the categories uh, decreased, but some really decreased, and. It depends on which side of the political aisle you sit, whether you're Republican or Democrat. Leading the way for uh, Democrats, in part, was organized religion. Uh, They don't like organized religion. But leading the way for Republicans, um, quite significant, uh, because this is something that historically Republicans have been aligned with um, business, if you will. Well... American satisfaction, Republican satisfaction with the size and influence of major corporations plummeted 26 points from last year to a record low of 31%. Um, that's huge. What is driving that? Well, to talk about it, Justin Danhoff, General Counsel for the National Center for Public Policy Research. Justin, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony, thanks so much. It's always nice to talk with you. So uh, any surprise here in these, uh, I mean, that's a pretty significant drop, 26 points in terms of how Republicans view big corporations? Well, my only surprise is that it took um, Republicans and conservatives this long to wake up to realize that corporate America and large businesses are now steadily aligned with the political left on nearly any single category you can think of, but specifically when it comes to culture. You know, cultural conservatives, um, religious conservatives, corporations are on the opposite side of every issue that you hold dear. They, Many of them fund Planned Parenthood. Many of them oppose religious freedom, and not just vocally, but in the courts, legally fighting against your, your religious freedom issues. And so 
you know, I, as you know, I've been in this battle for, for a decade trying to educate both the grass tops and the grassroots to the, the corruption of the cor- corporate culture that's, that's been going on. And it's, you know, goes back more than a decade, uh, of course. But yeah, it, the only, the only shock to me is that it took conservatives this long to wake up. But last year, there were so many compelling storylines that conservatives just couldn't look away from, right? When yeah. Black Lives Matter was burning Portland, was burning Minneapolis, Amazon and Pepsi were sending the Black Lives Matter organization massive checks. You can't look away from that. And, and this, this, this cultural corruption is, is made even more hypocritical by the moralizing. I think that's what a lot of Americans just, just found so unpalatable, right? That they, you know, Disney and, and Apple will moralize, and these are godless, soulless corporations, by the way, that are trying to dictate morality here in the United States by saying that this is a white supremacist nation, that our institutions are founded on white supremacy, that we all must bend our knees to Black Lives Matter, yet the hypocrisy is just smacks you in the face because these companies, of course, all do business with the communists um, in China. Uh, where, you know, in the Jinjing province, of course, we have slave labor that is in the supply chains of many of these same companies, including companies like Nike. Right, exactly. I mean, you got Apple, Nike, and other major companies that are implicated in this uh, forced labor of uh, Uyghur Muslims in, in China. But here in this country, uh, they are, um, you know, as you say, moralizing over uh, Black Lives Matter and, and, and trying to, uh, you know, school conservatives on these uh, justice <clears throat> excuse me justice issues now i want i'm going to go back cuz cuz you you pointed out that the they're they're moralizing on these issues and they're getting involved in these social policy issues and of course they're on the other side from conservatives last on the list of satisfaction for conservatives was the moral and ethical climate of America, which was at only 17% said that that was satisfactory. Uh, and then when you tie the corporate America to that, because they're the ones driving it so low, uh, it's, it, it is no wonder. But this, is, this could be a huge, huge um, political landscape shift. Because historically, as I mentioned, the conservatives, Republican Party have been aligned with business. But we're seeing like the, the Chamber of Commerce um, getting involved with liberal candidates, um, you know, going against Republicans. This could be a, 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 a dynamic that could change the political landscape of America in a very significant way. Well, that's right. I mean, you brought up the Chamber of Commerce. My goodness, they haven't been conservative in more than a decade themselves. They just, I mean, to the point that they're endorsing Marty Walsh, President Biden's pick to lead the Department of Labor. They just endorsed Neera Tandon. Folks, if you don't know her, Google her. They just endorsed her to head OMB, right? She ran the Center for American Progress for about a decade. One of the most yeah, we were just we were just talking about her. <laughs> so, I mean, hostile to religion, the, the, hostile to religion. The chamber just wholeheartedly endorsed her for that spot. So yeah, the, the, the chamber and, and and things like that. Americans again, conservatives are waking up to the fact that well, corporations it, have just become the college campus these days. And look what they did to Republican lawmakers who challenged the election outcomes from states that had irregularities. 
you know, withhold, saying they're not going to give money to them. They kicked them out of their properties where they were doing fundraising events. I mean, that is not lost on the conservative voter. That's right. Now the conservatives that have, you know, angst and ire towards it, we, you know, come to nationalcenter.org, check us out. We'll, we'll teach you how to direct that ire. Right, we'll hold that because uh, we're going to come back on the other side of this break, Justin, and I want to talk more about that, about what consumers can do to make a difference because uh, you're really good at it. Justin Danhoff, General Counsel for the National Center for Public Policy, my guest. We're going to continue our conversation about why conservatives have soured on big business, and um, I'm chief among them. We're going to talk more about it on the other side of the break. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, i definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And uh, again, tonight, our first Pray Vote Stand Town Hall meeting, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can participate at PrayVoteStand.org. All right. Uh, Justin Danhoff, my guest, talking about the drop 
of satisfaction among Americans for corporate America, primarily among Republicans, dropping uh, 26 points to 31 percent of Americans approve or 31 percent approval rating or satisfaction, I should say, uh, among Republican voters. Um, not, not, not surprising, Justin, but before we get into kind of what you can do, what the consumer can do, uh, your thoughts, this is along the same lines, because I, I think uh, professional sports has gone the same way as corporate America. I mean, really, they are p- part of corporate America. But the Dallas Mavericks ceasing the, uh, the national anthem, I mean, how far will they go? Yeah, that that's just incredible what Mark Cuban announced. Um, you know, I guess if they, if I guess they could go so far as to play, you know, the Chinese national anthem before games. Well, that's where they, that's apparently who they're bowing to. They might as well. That's right. That's right. I mean, those you know, listeners will remember that during the Hong Kong Freedom Fighters efforts. Um, that the NBA essentially silenced one of their own general managers who dared to tweet out some support for the Hong Kong Freedom Fighters because the NBA is so beholden to the CCP in China. It's, it's sickening. But then, they'll again, they will be the same thing as corporate America in that they'll moralize and, and try to browbeat Americans about, uh, quote-unquote, social justice. Well, that's right. I mean, if anybody could stomach, you know, the 30 to 45 minutes leading uh, up to the Super Bowl, you'll now know why the Super Bowl had its lowest ratings in decades, right? Because all of the commercials, the, you know, the the black playing of the black national anthem, which I don't object to, but just the way in which they posture everything these days, the, the you're right, the sports leagues are, are and, and look, they're all sponsored by the large companies that are just as woke and left of center as the sports leagues yeah. become. But I, I, I just see, I just saw where the NBA uh, apparently overruling uh, the Mavericks and saying all NBA teams will uh, will continue to play the anthem. I, I guess there is someone that still has uh, a little bit of sense uh, in in professional sports. Let's let's talk uh, about how the consumers can make a difference here, Justin. It's one thing to be uh, you know dissatisfied. But how do you translate that into action? Sure. So let's pick one company and run down an example. So Bank of America, for those who have seen Tucker Carlson over the last week and a half, he's you know, exposed the fact that Bank of America has turned over uh, private information from of many of its own clients to the federal authorities around January 6th. I've contacted Bank of America numerous times to ask if they did similar actions around the Black Lives Matter and Antifa riots in places like Minneapolis and Portland. But how many other people have actually contacted the bank? Has anybody? Have you contacted your regional manager of the Bank of America affiliate where you live? Have you reached investor relations? There, you know, the website's right there. Email, call, hound these companies down, engage. Engage is the key word, Tony, because reflexively there's this attitude that I'm just going to cut up my Bank of America credit cards, I'm going to cancel my mortgage with them, and we're going to boycott. Well, I hate to say it, but the collective history of the conservative boycott of corporations that offend our values is a, is a dud. It's never yeah. worked. And then here's a little secret. It's never worked for the left either. The left doesn't boycott any companies that offend their values. They engage more. They, they get more involved with those corporations so that they can have a sphere of influence. So that would be my recommendation at the consumer 
level. But there's other levels of uh, levers of power as well, and that comes in voting. There's shareholder votes at every publicly traded company every year, and board members are a key aspect of this. Every board member is up for a vote each year at the annual shareholder meeting. Al Gore, for example, let's, let's pick one, one board member. Al Gore is a board member of Apple. I don't know if many folks know that. He's been a board member for more than a decade. Every year, he receives 99% of the vote to remain on Apple's board. Do you think Apple's shareholders are 99% liberals? I kind of highly doubt that. But what's happening is the conservatives aren't engaging their franchise when it comes to these proxy votes. So if, you know, for example, the state pension in, I don't know, let's say Texas and Florida decided to start actually engaging in voting, that could have a real difference. And, you know, not, not only that, but the individual investors that get their proxies in the mail and just throw them away, you can make a difference. Yeah. His, his, his the main thing is need to drop down to 40. You just need to engage the vote. Yeah, the main thing is not to be silent. No, don't don't be, you know, just get upset and go away. Get upset and say something. We need to give voice to the values that we care about if we want to protect those values. Absolutely. Engage. Justin, Justin Danhoff, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, always uh, good to talk with you and great work over there at the uh, National Center for Public Policy. Thanks, Tony. God bless. All right. And folks, if you'd like to know more, they really do do some really good stuff. Uh, they, they hold corporate America accountable. and they got some great ideas on how you can be a part of that. Uh, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, and uh, follow the links over. The main thing is we just cannot be quiet. We, we have to give voice to our values because the other side, uh, they're certainly not being quiet. All right. We know America is divided. That's not new. But there's one issue more than any other that predicts how someone will vote. We're going to talk about it next with Brad Wilcox from the University of Virginia. Don't go away. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. 
there is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Tonight, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time at uh, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, we'll have our first Pray, Vote, Stand town hall meeting, The Way Forward. I'll be joined by uh, Pastor Gary Hamrick, uh, senior pastor there at uh, Cornerstone, and ADF President and CEO Mike Ferris. Uh, we'll be taking your questions. It is live, interactive. You can participate either there in person or you can join us online, 7.30 Eastern Time, prayboatstand.org, or uh, simply text me, and we'll try to get you uh, an alert, uh, 67742, text the word STAND. That way you can stay connected with us uh, going forward, actually. Text the word STAND to 67742. All right, as I mentioned, uh, it's no surprise America is politically divided, uh, even more so with each passing day. But this is something I, I find um, fascinating. Let me put it that way. More than There's one issue more than any other that... Um, will predict how someone will vote. In, in new research reveals this, and it's, um, I, I find this fascinating. Not, not totally surprising, but it is very interesting because there's a lot here to unpack. Joining me now to talk about this, Brad Wilcox, visiting scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and sociologist at the University of Virginia. Brad, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's good to be here, Tony. Well, I, I have not given away the answer yet. I, uh, I've saved that opportunity for you, but I found uh, this research quite fascinating. So tell our listeners, more than any other issue, when you look at a, a variety of indicators, what would predict how someone will vote in this last election? 
Well, Tony, you know, as, as we've seen, a lot of attention has been paid to race and gender and class in this last election. And when you threw those variables into a statistical model um, and then also looked at the impact of marriage, what we found was that actually marriage was the best predictor of voting trends. Now, to be, to be clear, we were looking at regional trends. But again, the biggest factor we saw in our research here was um, the marital status of you know, populations across counties in the U.S., and I mean, th- th- this it really wasn't even close. I mean, it showed a, a very clear, both among men and women who were married, they were more likely not only to vote for President Trump, but also to vote for Republican senators as well. Yeah, so you see this this trend across the board, and there is just a very strong association between people's marital status and sort of how you know how they vote in in American elections. Now, um, I know you are a sociologist and you you stick with just the data that you have here, but I find this data fascinating. And and you you admit that, um, you know, there's this strong association, but you can't necessarily tell which drives which, whether being conservative drives you to marriage or marriage drives you to conservatism. Right. So we do know that Americans who report that they're more conservative are more likely um, to get married in the first place, and they're actually more likely to stay married today. And, um, you know, that, that sort of divide between conservatives and liberals has grown since the 1970s. So it's certainly the case that people who are conservative tend to be more interested in getting married today. Um, but we also think that um, sort of the transition into marriage uh, might make people more conservative as well. That just kind of your attitude towards taxes, your attitude towards government um, could be conditioned or shaped by whether or not you have a spouse um, and the financial resources that, you know, that tend to come with having that stability on the home front. Yeah, I'm not the expert like you. I'm more of a practitioner, but the I have found that to be the case. I think, especially when you add children into the mix, people all of a sudden become more concerned about the environment in which those children are going to grow up and develop in. Yeah, I think your kind of your views about things like education, obviously crime and any number of other issues can be, you know, shaped by whether or not um, you're married with, with children. And, um, you know, and we also find that people who are, who are single, especially single parents, are more likely, by contrast, to rely upon the government for financial support. So, again, kind of your approach to, to policy issues can be driven in part by, you know, your family status on the home front. So I just want to break down some of these numbers that you came up with. Uh, married men, 56% of them um, uh, voting for Trump, uh, 42% for Biden. I mean, that's a, a big majority, uh, especially in today's divided political climate. Married women, 52%. And, and you actually, what you found is that that increased for Trump in this uh, second election. Yeah, that was a striking finding that, you know, there was a majority for both. Um, and that was, as you mentioned, you know, uh, an increase from the last election to the current election. Uh, at the same time, as you can obviously intuit here, one of the, I think, the challenges is that we've seen marriage in retreat in this country. And so that yeah. does, you know, kind of reshape the, the kind of demographic calculus going into any election. Well, it does, but, I mean, it would, to me, um, 
you know, being one that uh, recovering politician, uh, but a policy uh, f- focused person would be that we would uh, the conservatives would benefit from uh, the GOP would benefit from policies that promote marriage and family. You know, that's correct. I think that's why, you know, we're having such a big debate about, you know, this new Family uh, Security Act that's been proposed by Senator Mitt Romney as one possible, you know, policy option to sort of strengthen families. Um, But I think kind of whatever you think about that particular issue, um, we need to be thinking about more constructive policies that we can advance that will make um, family formation easier for ordinary Americans. Um, And we also saw a recent poll given out by American Compass new group on the scene uh, saying that about half of Americans felt like they couldn't have the kids that they wanted to have um, in large part for financial reasons. So I think you know, um, it's time for, you know, uh, policymakers to look more closely at the at the economic challenges facing ordinary American families. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, certainly one of those would be uh, um, college uh, loan debt uh, that is often a um, inhibit inhibits uh, marriage and, uh, and and children as you carry that for a number of years. But I, I want to go back to these numbers for a moment because I think this is quite significant in that only 37 percent of unmarried women uh, voted for Trump, 62 percent for Biden. And going back to what you said, uh, looking at many of those, not all, but many of those being maybe single women. Um, I mean, they're obviously unmarried, so they're single, but maybe single parents looking to the government for support. So their their vote is driven more by financial interest and government policy. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, that's certainly, I think, part of there. Obviously, also often cultural differences today that we're seeing, you know, play out. Um, but, yeah, I think there is a way in which people who are not married um, have, uh, you know, particularly single mothers, you know, feel um, more economically insecure, and therefore they're more likely to look to the government for things like, you know, food stamps or other um, you know, housing assistance, uh, Medicaid, you know, things to sort of um, help them uh, raise their kids. I think that's one fundamental dynamic in play here. You know, polls, Brad, often, you know, kind of a snapshot. We looked at the 2020 election, but you have some data that suggests we may be seeing some trends here, that this is not just a one-time issue, but it is a, uh, it's trending. Yeah, there's some evidence to suggest that the the links here are getting tighter between partisanship and and marriage um, that we see in you know in this particular data analysis, and it'll be interesting to see if that you know if that trend increases between now and the next presidential election um, or not. So yeah, we'll look we'll be looking at that issue. So the uh, your what do you walk away with? I mean, obviously you do a lot of the research, um, and you've been focused on marriage for a long time because I actually used your research back when I did covenant marriage. Uh, we we did some follow up stuff with with you on that. Um, what what's your takeaway from from this information? Yeah, my takeaway is that um, you know disinformation, not to mention you know the new poll out today, and not to mention as well the fact that you know we think we're going to hit the lowest uh, fertility and marriage rates um, in 2020 that we've seen ever you know in our nation's history, is that we need to be thinking more about how public policies either help or hinder uh, marriage and 
childbearing. And so one idea, obviously, that's been talked about in the last week is looking at a child allowance. That's one plan coming from Senator Romney. Another idea um, coming, I think, this spring from uh, Senator Lee is to um, – is to eliminate marriage penalties in a lot of our uh, means-tested programs, like uh, perhaps like Medicaid, for instance. So I think it's these kinds of policies that make it easier to afford um, having kids, um, easier to afford being married if you're working class, that would be helpful in uh, making family formation you know, more accessible to you know, ordinary women and men across the U.S. I mean, there's both a short-term need for that i mean when you look at you know starting getting families to grow but long term if we continue on this demographic decline you know look at how is our government going to function as we become more dependent upon government spending if we don't have people working to pay taxes uh and and in the workforce i mean we're going to be much like uh the direction europe is headed yeah, and I think even probably more worrisome would be like the, the direction Japan has already kind of arrived at. There was a very uh, kind of dramatic and sobering story that came out of um, Japan and New York Times about two years ago, and they were just talking about how there are millions of people living and dying alone in Japan because they've had so many, um, you know, uh, de- generations now of folks who, who are not having kids or just having one child. And so what that means is that as people hit their, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s, is that there's no one there to visit them. And there's even a company in Japan that specializes, and this is kind of gruesome, but this is what the story said, that specializes in cleaning up apartments um, for people who had died, you know, weeks before because what's happening is that there was such a lack of family connection in Japan um, that people wow. are dying and just being left alone for weeks on end. So anyways, that's an extreme example in some ways, but the point is if we don't kind of realize that, you know, uh, <laughs> the family yeah. is sort of pretty foundational, then this is where we can end up. Well, what, that's interesting. What, what really was, the, if you were to point in Japan, what drove uh, the culture in that direction? What would you say it was? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the problems in Japan has been there's a kind of a, an ex, what, what we call workism um, in, among some of my colleagues. There's kind of a preoccupation with putting in lots of hours at work. Um, and then you had that for, for many, many years with men, and then women started to get that same attitude. And so you don't really appreciate then the importance of being with your family, you know, spending time with them in the evenings and weekends, et cetera. Um, and that tends to limit, you know, the number of kids people have and invest in. Um, so workism, I think, is part of the story there in Japan. I think also they've had difficulty um, employing less educated men as well in recent, you know, in recent decades, this is kind of an economic story as well, and that also actually fits the American experience now, unfortunately. Um, it's also, it's you know, it's been a very secular country for a yeah. while as well. So there are a variety of different factors that I think have kind of led Japan um, to the place where um, a very large minority of Japanese young adults never marry and never have children, and then that plays out across the life course. Wow. Fascinating. Well, I think this is fascinating research. Uh, Brad, always great to talk with you and uh, just appreciate the work that you do focused on marriage and family, because I think it is absolutely uh, critical for the future success of our country. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us today. 
Okay, thanks for having me on, Tony. Certainly. Brad Wilcox, to find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com, and you can follow the links over. Um, there are practical reasons why family matters and marriage matters, and this is a part of it. It, it spills over into our politics. It spills over into our economy. It, it spills over into our future. And, and he touched on one of the things, and, and this is where Jip, I, I was waiting to see if he would uh, touch on this, but Japan has become an, uh, an extremely secular uh, country. And that was one of the things we missed in World War II as we were over there in the rebuilding Japan. We, we, we could have shared more with them to lay a spiritual foundation. But we're losing that foundation here at home. We, we see children as uh, consumers of limited resources when God says they are blessings. And we need, to, we need to recalibrate our focus on family and on children. And we got to do it soon because the demographic trends are not good here in the United States. But also, for the future of our republic... When you build families, moms and dads and children, you build conservative units because they understand what they need to do to take care of one another. They understand the problems that government creates rather than solves, and they are problem solvers. It's the local families that used to be the Department of Education, the Department of Labor. Uh, they were Department of Transportation. They were everything. We need to get back to that. And the Republican Party in particular needs to work very, very hard in promoting policies that, as Brad said, will make family formation easier to do, uh, encourage it in our policy uh, so that we can have vibrant, healthy, prosperous families, and a lot of them, and we need them quick. So uh, do your part. All right, folks, thanks so much for joining us. Let me again remind you tonight, tune in, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, for our first Pray Vote Stand Town Hall, The Way Forward. Go to prayvotestand.org. All right, until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 